this morning, congregation, as we think in church, as we gather together, I want to ask you, uh, why Eve? Why Eve? Uh, Adam was there, and why why did God create Eve? How would you, how would you answer that? Go ahead. Some of you don't know. Uh, some of you are wondering. You're going, that's a good question. I was wondering about that. Uh, there's, there's really a, a fundamental answer uh, that, that is, it's good for us to remember, not just in marriage relationships, but in everything. It says that Adam was created, and then it says it was not good. It was not good. What was not good? It was not good for man to be alone. Not good. And uh, I think about that and I think we don't believe that. We don't believe that. Uh, we're constantly wanting to be alone. We're constantly not wanting relationship. We're, we're constantly putting more distance in between ourselves and others. We're constantly saying, uh, I, I, I would get married, but uh, I don't want to give up my freedom or I, I I would you know live closer to that person, but I I don't really like the way they encroach on what I want to do, and I I would um you know work in that place, but there's too many people, and I don't like people. I don't I I, I play better alone, you know. I play better alone. I, I like to do my own thing, and and then we uh, uh we think in terms of how can we get away from people. Some of you moved to the great city of Tehachapi. Because you didn't like people. Some of you are laughing, and then others of you are going, "No, it wasn't that bad." Yes, it was. Uh, you're in a place where you, you know the thing that you said all the time: people, people. In fact, uh, this this is a driving force. We uh, build big homes, and then we get lots of rooms so you don't have to be with people, uh, and uh, we like to be alone. And yet, it says it says it's a very fundamental. The very beginning of creation, it says this. It's not good for man to be alone. And which shares with us uh, kind of a truth that we need to start with this morning is that we were designed for relationship. We were designed for it. Uh, we were designed to be in need of relationship. And that, that relationship is between us and God, but also us and one another. Um, and this morning, as we're in Philippians chapter 2, talking about relationships in the church, that we would be unified, but we're also reminded that that's true in marriage too, to be unified, and in our homes, in our families, that we would be unified, that we would be striving for that, striving for that. Um, a lot of times we say, well, I don't really like uh, to be unified. I don't think it's that important. And I want to tell you, you're wrong. Uh, you're wrong. I uh, wanted to candy coat it for you, but I couldn't think of any better way to say it other than you're wrong. Um, we're in desperate need of it. Desperate need of it. Uh, because God has designed us that way. Um, it's interesting that I watch in my own life uh, that relationships are difficult. Relationships are difficult. That uh, my sinfulness and anybody else that I'm having relationship with, their sinfulness and my sinfulness tends to butt heads and uh, it doesn't work out so well. And so what, what do I do? I, I withdraw and I prefer tasks 
and acquiring stuff through relationship. Some of you say, well, I don't really work with people. I like to get things done. I don't like to be with people. And so we say, I, I, I can do tasks. I want to remind you that any task that you do, anything that you create, any possession that you acquire, at best in years will be mothballed. At best. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to be worthless. And so, which brings us back to the value of relationships and the value of relationship with God. We're in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to uh, read to you this passage. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you the first 11 verses in Philippians chapter 2. God's Word says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being full in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, thank You for Your Word. Uh, may it thrill our hearts. May we cherish it. May it change us now as we look to it. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I meant to say this earlier, but Sean Lamont's here. The vastly changed. He's graduate of college. He looks smarter and everything. And uh, the best part of all, he's coming back. He's coming back to Tehachapi, so we're grateful to have you, Sean. Congratulations to you, buddy. Uh, talk about the Scripture. Philippians chapter 2. So, Philippians 2, uh, verse 1, starts out gospel. Gospel. And the gospel, remember, is just good news. It's not just good news. It's good news about Jesus. And what's so good about it is that Jesus, because of what He did, on the cross and His resurrection, He forgives sin. He forgives sin. And because of our identification with Him and accepting Christ, He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make you clean. And you say, how can uh, Christ make me clean? He took your place. He took your place. And so that verse 1 talks about the riches that are found in a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here this morning. Thank you for coming. It's a great place. Not because I'm here, but because we talk about Jesus and you know, the riches that are found in Him. I just want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ, uh, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Like You're, you're not going to feel any better about your sin. You're not going to you know, 
painting over rotten wood on your house isn't going to make it good again. Okay, uh, it's still there. Uh, you can deal with the issues of your soul. You can become right with God through what Christ has done. But that first verse is talking about the good news of Jesus. And and that is the basis for all of the things. I want to encourage you that uh, if you're having problems in your life, go back to that. Okay? Uh, you, so sometimes we struggle and uh, we think about, you know, man, I need some answers. I need some counseling. I need some this. Uh, chances are it's something very simple. It goes back to the foundation. The foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that if we go back to that, that chances are as we get back to Christ and who He is and what He's done for us and the riches found in Him, that will help us in our relationships, uh, both with spouses and extended family, with our kids, all these things. And so it's, it's, uh, it's foundational, but it's also changing, uh, as we look to the, the future and the things that God has called us to. So we have the gospel, which moves us to a call to unity, that we would be together as his church, that we would be of the same mind, that we would be connected in our hearts with one another, striving with one another. And that's very hard to do. I don't know, um, you know, a lot of times uh, leading a church is like herding cats. You know, uh, it doesn't happen. And we're just constantly trying to bring people in Others are wandering away. No, 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 let's all stay together here. No, I got a different idea. I got a different idea. Let's go this way. Let's go. I'm busy. No, no, let's all get together. And it's so hard to do. And, uh, there's, that's difficult in a church. It's also difficult in a marriage, right? Uh, those of you who've been married a while, uh, you, you remember all the things, right? It seemed obvious to you. What was wrong with him? You know, uh, and, this idea, the intimacy of marriage, the intimacy of marriage really reveals some of that stuff. You can have crazy ideas alone, uh, and even have a semblance of getting away with it. But when you, when you come together, uh, other people know you and you're known, uh, that brings some of that stuff out. And then to add crazy kids to the mix, you know, that's obvious, right? You know, that's obvious how that complicates things. Uh, big sinners and little sinners all living in the same house is what it, that, that looks like. And so, uh, um, and it's amazing how big the sins can be in little sinners and just how all that works and stuff like that. Um, this, so there's a foundation of the gospel. There's a call to unity that we would work together, that we would be together in this church. And then, uh, the passage goes on the next couple of verses to talk about the greatest uh, hindrances to this unity and also the single like thing that will change it most. The biggest hindrances are selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride. And I've belabored that the last few messages in the book of Philippians. And um, I just want to encourage you, if you weren't here, um, your husband or wife or mom or dad or brother or sister or uh, they called me this week and said you should listen to those last messages on selfishness they'd be perfect for you um, but uh just to get in your mind that that you are selfish that you struggle with pride that it would be something that 
would be a reminder to your soul as you walk around life, as you, you seek after God, that you need to be changed. And it's so important for us to realize, if you don't think that you need to be changed, uh, you'll think the whole rest of the world, it's their problem. And I want to tell you, that's that right there is a hindrance to unity. It will it'll be a it'll be a wall between you and the ones that you're supposed to be unified with. You have uh, pride and selfishness, and then you have really what I call the silver bullet is that of humility, humility, and that brings us this morning uh, to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and. Uh, uh, I love this passage. Um, we're going to talk about this for two or three weeks. And, uh, because it's so important for us to get, uh, how this works in us, how this works and who Jesus is in the midst of us trying not to be selfish and proud, unified on the basis of the gospel and being humble people. Um, we come to the first point this morning, verse five, an attitude change. Now, when I, you know, whenever I think of attitude, I think of moms. I think of moms. Uh, because I, I picture a mom looking at their son or daughter of any age and looking at them and say, you need an attitude change. You need an attitude change. I've even heard moms say, I need an attitude change. Uh, and what a beautiful thing it is when we, we realize that we're out of line. But this idea that when we say attitude, most of the time, uh, what we're thinking is we're thinking that, hey, there needs to be the cloud changing, right? It needs to be thinking about a sunny day instead of a cloudy day or just having a better attitude. That You know, the power of positive thinking and all that good stuff. Um, that's not, I, I don't like this word attitude. I, I wrote it down. I wrote it down as a point, but I, I don't really, it's more than that. It's more than just an attitude change. It's at the deepest core of who you are that that would be changed. I, I want to tell you that um, a lot of times we see things come out of our life, uh, sins that we commit, actions that we take, words that we say, words that we don't say, and we realize they're wrong. We realize they're sinful. And, and we say to ourselves, I need to stop doing that. I need to stop saying that. I need to stop acting that way. But the real problem is not us, what's coming out of us. It's what's in us that's the problem. It's not just the, the things that come out. It's where did that come from? Sometimes we get shocked and we go, where did that come from? I want to tell you where it came from. You. It came from you and me. And so as we think about this, this passage this morning, it's, it's an issue of attitude, but it's much deeper than that, okay? And so he calls for an attitude change. Verse five. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, he's already talked to us about mind in this call to unity, have the same mind, have the same mind. And you, you realize that we can't have the same mind is with, with having the one that we were born with or having not been changed in our thinking. 
Something's got to change if we're going to come together and have the same mind. I can't have my own thoughts, my own ways of doing things, my own agenda, and us be unified. Can't happen. It's that I need to be changed. I need to be changed. And so he says, have this mind. He's going beyond the actions. He's going to the heart of it. Have this mind among yourselves. It's interesting, too, that he says, among yourselves. Uh, What's fascinating about uh, sin of selfishness, pride, these other things, they don't get revealed until you are in relationship. if you're apart, if you're apart from people, uh, you, you may not think you're selfish and proud. You, you may not even think you have crazy thoughts. It's interesting. Uh, you may know of people who have isolated themselves, become hermit-like, right? They, they've gone up to the hills or, you know, they live on the top of Deer Trail or High Gun Court or wherever. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, you, you get these places out there and they live by themselves. They live by themselves and they don't come down because they don't like to be with people. And if you stay by yourself and you don't, well, what happens? And they say, oh, people get weird ideas. They get weird ideas. Why? Because we weren't made for that. We were made for relationship. Relationships with people in the church, relationships in marriage, family relationships, relationships. We are meant to work together. As you look at this, you see that he's calling them to have this mind among themselves, that it's in relationship, that their minds are meant to be changed, their attitudes, if you will, are meant to be changed, and it will come out among ourselves here. It'll come out in the midst of relationship. And it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Um, I, I just want to say that what he is calling them to do is to adopt this new attitude. This new attitude is a gift to them. How do you get this gift? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you haven't trusted in Christ, uh, it's not that you can't be a good friend and there's nothing, there's no hope for you. I want to tell you the hope that you have or need is Jesus Christ because it's an eternal hope. And that he's not just going to change how you relate to people, but he's going to change your heart. Uh, this term, in Christ Jesus, um, it's used, Paul uses it all over the New Testament. And it's always pointing kind of to riches that you have because you have a relationship with Christ. And it's pointing to that, that there's more, there's more. Um, that we're to adopt this new way of living. Uh, if you can picture yourself, if you had a rich uncle, a uh, long-lost rich uncle, or aunt, or that lives in this amazing, uh, uh, amazing place, and they call you and said she's passed away, it's yours, it's yours, and you go and you sit there and you're you're in one little room and you see this beautiful piece, this trinket of some sort, and you sit there and you go, I can't believe this is mine, and someone says. You know there's more, right? You know there's more. You, you know it's all yours. You know there's other rooms here. There's other stuff. I, I want to show you the riches. And in this, in this passage, know this. This new attitude is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours. You have it. And so it, it's the idea of 
adopting uh, this new way of life. It's the the idea of you will now uh, live out what he has saved you for. He says, this is yours in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you. Some of the words that I, I find myself wanting to use, but it's more than that, is imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. We're going to talk about what Jesus did, and we go, man, he's a he's a great. Uh, we should imitate him. And there's other passages that talk about imitation, and that's a, that's a good principle. But it's not enough. It's not even just to look at Jesus and say, what a great example. He is a great example. But but get this, get this. It's not that we're just trying to be like Jesus. We're not just trying to imitate him. We are like him because we are in Christ. We are like him. We've been given this. This has been our gift, uh, having trusted in Christ. And so this morning, uh, as you think about your attitude, what we're talking about is as God grows in us, that we would conform to our new life that is ours by possession. Some of us say this, that we go, you know, I'm just, this is just the way I was raised. I'm a selfish person. You know, I, I come from a long line of selfish people. Like, like you should meet my dad. He's just like that. He's, he's selfish like that. And my grandfather, if you would have met him, he's selfish like that. And I got a picture of my great-grandfather, and he was doing selfish things. And so I am condemned to be a selfish, proud person. I want to say that's true apart from Jesus Christ. You're stuck. You're stuck with what you got apart from Jesus Christ. But what we're talking about here is the change because of Jesus. The change that He wants to bring about. The the gift that He gave you in salvation and then us being conformed to Christ as we grow in Him. It's what He saved you for that you would be able to have this new attitude, uh, that your attitude would be changed from what it was to what Christ wants it to be. Which brings us to verse 6, the attitude of Christ. That's even a poor word, right? The attitude of Christ. It makes it sound like uh, you know there's something else. And it's different, right? But yet it's exemplified. This, this idea, these thoughts, this change, uh, is exemplified in Christ. Not that He changed, but that who He is is what we will be. Verse 6. And it says this. Before we get into that, this is this section is a hymn. It's, a, it's an ancient hymn. And w- when I say hymn, uh, some of you say, well, was it in, is it in the hymn book? What page is it? Uh, I want to tell you, what what I'm saying by that, what as writers write about this being an ancient hymn, really two simple elements. First of all, that it's poetic form. It's poetic. Uh, it's meant to be either uh, beautiful in um, being able to be quoted or beautiful even to be sung. And we don't have the music, obviously, for this, but uh, it's a hymn. But the second element is theological words. Uh, packed words that would teach something. And as we look at this passage, one of the, one of the greatest ones that gets to the heart of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's a, it's a hymn. We don't, uh, we don't really know the origins of it. 
uh, I want to encourage you to think about this, but as Paul wrote uh, the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi, there's a possibility that he took a hymn that the Jews would have used in the past and uh, reformulated it or changed it, or maybe it was something that, and then placed it in there under the inspiration of God. Or it could be just simply uh, a poem that Paul wrote for the book of Philippians, that the letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, it is inspired. It is inspired as part of what God wanted us to hear, but we don't actually know uh, where it came from. This being said, you know, as we look at this, it doesn't really matter other than to know it's an important piece that's uh, uh, together. Uh, we're not going to be singing this next week unless Zach figures out something this week. Anyways, um, verse 6, who, who, who though he was in the form of God, the form of God, and uh, really as we think of the, uh, this attitude of Christ, the first thing we need to consider is what is the form of God? What does that mean? As you look at this passage, uh, this word form is actually used twice. Uh, it goes on in verse 7. He says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So there's two of these forms uh, that go out there. And the, the idea of this word is this, that it can be perceived through senses. So like, uh, as you would look with your eyes and you'd hear and you'd be able to taste, you'd be able to identify accurately what something is. It's not like a mirage. It's not like some trick of the mind. It is the actual thing and it can be positively ID'd. And so as we look at this, we look at Jesus and what he did. He existed. He was the form of God. This points us uh, to the picture of Jesus being a pre-existent Christ before he came to this earth, okay? And so uh, as we consider who Christ was before what we celebrate at Christmas time, his incarnation, uh, we, we consider him and we say, how was that different or how was he different in what we hear coming to this earth, the flesh and bones uh, that he lived in? And that's what it's pointing to, this form of God. Knowing this, uh, that he goes on to say, well, we know uh, because he was pictured in this preexistent form that he shares the glory, the majesty, the splendor of the Father, right? There's no different. And Paul's desire to share this throughout the uh, New Testament over and over again and Christ, as he came to this earth, it wasn't that he was saying, I am not God. And quite, quite the opposite. He was saying, I am God. I'm God come in the flesh. But now it points to his positive ID um, of the form of God. But it says this at the end of verse 6. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay. So this, he was the form of God. And, and he can be positively ID'd. But now we realize he does not count equality a thing to be grasped. That word grasp is the idea of snatching uh, from someone as they would come through a, a conquering town. They would use this word to talk about taking that which is valuable. It was also used in a, a word of being given a treasure or a trophy and saying, this is yours and the receiving of that. 
That word snatched is this picture. It's that it's not so much talking about the action as it is talking about the benefit, okay? The benefit. And what he was not clinging to, what he was not grabbing a hold of is this, that the advantage that was his, that was his because of his place. Because he was the form of God, he didn't look at that advantage of his placement and who he was as a thing to be clinged to. Think about that. Um, it's hard for us to imagine uh, what it was for Christ to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit away from uh, this earth. We, it's hard for us to imagine. Most of us, um, as we have moved to Tehachapi, uh, how, how many of you, by the way, were were born, the first house that you've ever lived in was in Tehachapi? Raise your hand, please. In the first service, no joke, no joke. Full congregation, more people than are here. Not a single hand goes up. You know what that is? Uh, I know why most of you moved here. I, I know why most of you. Some of you got stuck here. But most of you, you wanted to upgrade, right? You didn't like where you were. And so you said, I want to move up to the mountains where I don't have to be around people and, you know, and all that other stuff. And I can enjoy my allergies two or three times a year. And, uh, like, I just, I want to get away. I want to get away. Um, and so you, you desired to upgrade. And, and I want, I want you to get this picture that this passage is not about upgrade. It's about downgrade in a significant, in a way that, you can't quite imagine. We we struggle getting our head around the form of God. And he, he's going to trade that in for another form. So as we look at that, this next form uh, is a form of a servant. Now, in the New Testament, we struggle with that uh, word because it can be translated servant or slave. And this picture, we hate the word slave uh, for obvious reasons in our country. But to think about that um, is important for us to remember that this idea that Christ, what he did, he came to take on now a form of a servant. Um, it's interesting, when I was in college and part of my days in seminary, I worked at a company that did parties, big lavish parties for people of wealth. And I remember one particular, they would send you out to different places, a lot of times uh, nice hotels. And I remember going uh, to the Ritz-Carlton Laguna Niguel uh, in the first service. Someone had gone there and they told me this afterwards, but uh, uh, they got a deal. I think Priceline was $30. No, I wasn't. But uh, it was just this idea that we most of us don't go to places like this. But the Ritz-Carlton Laguna Niguel is a beautiful place, uh, a beautiful place. But I remember them telling me, they said, you know, uh, as you come to the address, you'll, you'll go, you'll see the front entrance. Go past that about 500 feet, and there's another one. You can't really see it real well, but you'll go in there. Why was I going in there? Because it was the servant's entrance. And I remember going, hey, there it is. And it was this amazing entryway and valet and everything like that. Amazing, beautiful. And then there was this other one. And you go back there, and one of the first things you see are the dumpsters. The dumpsters. And you know you know what 
it's funny about the dumpsters at Laguna Niguel or Ritz Carlton. They stink just like any other place. And, and there was this idea that, you know, they're the dumpsters and there's some help, people out there smoking and doing whatever on their break. And then we went kind of through the, the area where the kitchen was and there were other slaves there too. And I wanted to, I wanted to look down on them and I go, but I'm coming in through the servant's entrance, right? Yeah, I, I'm not, this isn't, I'm, this is my spot. This is my spot. I want you to get this picture that Christ had the form, the form. He was identified you, as you looked at who he was and who he is. He had the form. He was positively identified as God. But it says that he took upon the form of a servant. He took the place of. If you saw what he did, you'd say, oh, that's there's the servant. Oh, if you, you understood his appearance and you'd say, oh, there's the servant. There he is. Jesus went uh, from equality with God, the form of God being able to be identified, and he took on the form of a servant. We're going to come back to some of these things and hit them a little bit more uh, in depth in the weeks to come. But I want you to understand that the form of God, the picture of God, being able to identify Him, goes to being the form of a servant. Get that. It was an accurate picture going one to the other. It says that uh, as we look at this, and this is part of what we're going to get to in the weeks to come, it says in verse 7, he says, but emptied himself. He emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Now, a lot of times we quickly go. We quickly go. Why was it so humbling for Christ to do this? Well, he died on the cross. You know what? It starts with something uh, incredibly significant that's not about going to the cross. It's about Him taking our side. Him coming alongside us in human form. The humiliation begins for Christ of leaving the Father's side and coming down, not just coming down to earth, but being made in the likeness of you and me. This is what He did. And this is the picture. It calls us to be humble. He says, well, let me give you the picture. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's what he did, leaving that, coming down to serve you, to be made in the likeness of men. Well, we'll pick this up in a couple of weeks. Next week's Mother's Day. Did you know that? Just a reminder, public service announcement. Um, next week's Mother's Day, and then we'll pick this passage up uh, the following week. I have some conclusions for you today that are hopefully helpful uh, as we think in terms of how this passage should affect the way we live. The first one is this, that we would remember that sacrificial service is the key to unity. Humble sacrificial service is the key to unity. Uh, if you don't like your church, you're just visiting here today. No, I'm just kidding. You may, you may be here all the time and you may not like your church. I want to encourage you. 
respond to the things that you don't like with humble, sacrificial service. You say, well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. There's some things that I don't like. I want to tell you, uh, when we get a list of things that we don't like, and we say, I'm going to wait for these things to change before I'm going to become unified. I'm going to tell you, that's not God's method to solving disunity. Not in the church. Not in a marriage. You say, you know, I'm really dissatisfied in, in my marriage. I want to encourage you. Humble. Sacrificial service. When I say sacrificial, you know what that means, right? It means not uh, when it's convenient. Not the leftovers. The leftovers. It, a lot of times we say, you know, I, I love to serve. After I'm done getting everything that I want done, done, then I give the leftovers to, you know, serve the Lord and do these things. I want to tell you, Jesus did not give the leftovers. The picture that's placed before us is his humble, sacrificial service to the Father and to us. This is the picture for us. And so I want to encourage you to remember that uh, sacrificial service is the key to unity. There's troubles in your home. Uh, serve more. Serve more. Think of ways you can serve those others around you. Serve, serve, serve. Why? Because that's God's method. Number two. Number two. Um, I want to say this plainly. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. If Jesus would empty himself, I can, should, too. Okay? I can and should too. I, I, I say can because remember we're in Christ. We're in Christ that, that He has made it us able to. We're not stuck getting, we could get over ourselves. We can take on that, that place uh, of, of service. We don't have to be lost in our selfishness and pride. We can get over ourselves, but also we should get over ourselves. Why? Because there's too much at stake. The unity of our church here in this place, that we would be able to do what God wants us to do. The unity in your marriage. You know, what's at stake? Your marriage is at stake. The unity in your relationship with your kids. I want to tell you, serve them. Serve them. And you say, what? Parents are supposed to serve their kids? Yes. Yes. Uh, not do everything they want, but serve them. To be thinking about them in relationship to God and saying, what can I do to have a relationship with my kids? Any age, by the way. Any age. That we would serve. That we would serve knowing that that is what unity is all about. That's a, a bridge building thing. It's, it's one of God's methods. And lastly, taking a step back and remembering uh, what the book of Philippians is about. Do you remember what it's about? Uh, one of the key words in the book of Philippians, joy, right? I want to I show you something here. This is, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. Joy is found in God's plan. And God's plan for you is to serve. Joy is found in God's plan. And God's plan for you is to serve. You say, no, pastor, that's not, the, you, you missed it. I am joyful and happy when I get what I want. I am joyful and happy when I get what I want. And I want to tell you, you're wrong. I'm going to come over to your house this afternoon and I'm going to show it to you. 
I'm going to show you all the things that you've tried to accumulate that are going to make you happy. And you don't care about them anymore. They're not, they don't bring joy to your life or happiness to your soul or whatever that little lady says. You know, does this bring joy or happiness to you? It doesn't. It doesn't. How do we find joy and happiness? It's simple. It's simple. We follow after Christ and we follow not just, uh, his gospel, but his, uh, his path. And what was it? To serve. To serve. He's made us for service. And so as we, uh, we're looking for joy, we find it in the plan of God. And we realize the plan of God for us is to be a servant. And so we take on that same form that Jesus did. Hope that's helpful for you. We'll pick this up in a couple of weeks. And I'll definitely do a review if you uh, forget what I said. Anyways, please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this rich passage. Help us to understand what you want us to, uh, to adjust in our thinking to where you've saved us to be, that we would adopt this kind of thinking that sees ourselves as servants all the time. Uh, God, may we not fight it, but may we embrace it, uh, knowing that, that Christ has gone before us. He has saved us for this. God, thank you for this time in Jesus' name.